Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Do you have plans August 25th and 26th? Add Leading Reliability Conference to your calendar. Join Iridicio, RDI Technologies, Fluke Reliability, and UE Systems for a live and in-person conference in Clearwater, Florida. Hear from the top industry leaders on industry hot topics. Each company will also be hosting pre- and post-event workshops. Don't miss out on the event of the year. To learn more about the Leading Reliability Conference and to register for the event, visit www.leadingreliability.com or check them out on LinkedIn. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome back Cliff Williams to the podcast. Welcome back, Cliff. Thanks, James. Great to be back and great to talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a while, I think, since you've been on. Um, I think last time was probably a couple of years ago when we were chatting about your book yep. around people. Yep. And uh, still my still my passion. Um, it, it's because it, it's all about people. Um, but it's it's changing slant slightly as I move slowly from maintenance and reliability into more of a an asset management um, slant. And uh, the strange thing is that it it really doesn't matter. It's still about the people. So uh, so maybe there's another book in the offing. I don't know <laughs> if I can get <laughs> if I can get the discipline to write it again. I think that's the key part is getting the discipline. Uh, I just, the book I co-authored uh, last year just got published. That was a lot of work. And I don't know if I have the discipline to go about doing it again right now. Yeah, no, that, that's true. You know, when I, when I wrote the first book, it was, it actually took a couple of years, but it was, uh, it was a disciplined every Sunday morning, sit down for two or three hours and plan the book you know, and then write the chapters, then change. But it was, that that was the routine, was Sunday morning for two or three hours. Uh, and finally got it, but it, it took a couple of years. So, yeah. Oh, excellent. And while we're, while we're going to talk about people, it's not so much directly the people side of things that we're going to talk about. What we want to talk about is operator care and how do we get there with the well thought out approach. But before we do, for those that may not be familiar with you, you are a principal advisor with people and processes and TMS asset management. Prior to that, you've been heavily involved in a lot of work with PMAC and actually as a corporate maintenance manager for many, many years with a large organization. And now you're recently retired from that. Although super brief, did I miss anything you want to fill in, Cliff? Um, not really. No, that was great. Yeah. Um, as I said, just making that transition now from maybe the, or, or incorporating the maintenance and reliability world in the asset management world and uh, actually continuing um, to teach as well uh, with PMAC and uh, around asset management. So that's still a, a, a great passion of mine. All right. Excellent. Now, like I said, we want to talk about asset care or operator care, um, operator-driven reliability, TPM. There's a whole bunch of different names for the same sort of thing. But 
in essence, what is operator care? Um, that's uh, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there are different, uh, a lot of different titles: ODR, Operator Driven Reliability, Operator Care, TPM, and they're all slightly different, though. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But Operator Care is where uh, your your frontline, your frontline people, your frontline defense, those people who are actually operating the equipment, take on a little bit of care for that equipment. Now, how much they take and what they take, I'm sure we're going to talk about. But really, it's about this idea of getting those people who are closest to the equipment, touch it, feel it every day, um, you know, getting those involved in in maintenance and reliability, really. And uh, for most of us who've been in maintenance and reliability, it's, it's it's not a surprise to find that a lot of issues come from not maintenance and reliability, but from a number of other sources. And the operators are actually the best people to catch those. So it's getting the, the operators to start to take on some care of their assets. Um, hopefully that explains it. Yeah, I think, I think it does. You know, We want them to have some care of their assets. The way I've always kind of related is we want to cur- – convert car renters to car owners yeah 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 i you know it's one of the favorite ones is yeah you know um would you as a car owner just take your car to the garage and say to the you know the mechanic yeah fix it (laughs) we're not going to tell you what's wrong with it we're not going to tell you how it's running we're not going to tell you all these things we're just going to take it to the you know and when you're you know looking after your vehicle are you not going to make sure it has oil you're not going to make sure the tires are are supporting the vehicle, or, you know, you do that basic care. And that's really what we need to transfer onto into the shop floor where, you know, whereas the old approach has been, we operate it, you maintain it and break down that barrier. Yeah. And I think those barriers, you know, go a lot of different ways, whether it's, you know, operators submitting work requests to get things done and maintenance saying, oh, that's stupid. I don't want to do it. Or, you know, maintenance asking operators to do things a little bit differently so it doesn't induce failures. And they say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's, it's a lot of those types of things, I think, that this will really impact. Uh, it, it definitely will. And um, even though, the, you know, the topic is operator care, it's not just about operators. Come back to the idea of people and things like that is, you know, as you just described, it's people, it's people interacting, it's people being accepting, it's people changing and we get into change management and all of these other things that so it's it's two words operator care it's a huge undertaking though and and it really is a lot of change for a lot of people Um, it's not a case of just okay ah, well there we are we've given the operator something to do It, it, it can't be that yeah exactly now you alluded to it how does operator care differ from say autonomous maintenance or tpm Ah, uh, that's, uh, that's one of my favorite little bugbears. Um, having uh, been, I've been very lucky o- over the years in my career in that um, I worked for an organization that had embraced TPM, Total Productive Maintenance, and uh, actually certified to the Japanese Institute of Planned Maintenance Certification. And that is the, the kind of governing body or the... Uh, or the uh, 
qualifying body for TPM. It's JIPM, and people can Google that and find it. But that really shows that autonomous maintenance is very much a part of an operating context. But it's not just one part. It is only, or it's only one part, but it's not all that is required. And when we look at autonomous maintenance, it can only succeed if it goes hand in hand with things like the planned maintenance group, like the uh, education and development group, like uh, there are a number of groups or pillars, as they're called in, in TPM, that have to be there. And uh, it really is an operating context. It's the way you run your business. ODR or operator care is a little bit less focused than that. It is looking at the, the, uh, the role of the operator and changing the role of the operator a little and changing the role of the maintenance people a little to get it so that we have that front line, the first line of defense, able to react and, and help um, you know, with maintaining sort of the production levels that you required. Um, one of the things that I've seen is, is that uh, it doesn't, uh, operator care or ODR doesn't change the culture of an organization anywhere near as much as if you're going to go into autonomous maintenance. Because autonomous maintenance is, it will be a culture change for 95, 99% of organizations because it involves all of these other pillars. It involves everyone at, you know, the facility, whatever you may be, whereas ODR or operator care can still be contained in um, the operations group and the maintenance group. So it, it they're, they're similar, but very, very different in intensity. And I guess that's what we, we're looking at. Okay, so it's the intensity that drives it. Then where should we use, say, operator care or ODR versus autonomous maintenance? Is there certain things that tell us when we should use either one? I don't know if there's certain things, but from my experience, there are certain environments. And, uh, and this is kind of where they get, get separated in that. Um, with autonomous maintenance, you tend to find that autonomous maintenance is really um, best suited for organizations that have lots of contact points between operators and the product and operators and the equipment. If you think about a paper mill, a paper mill, you have three people sitting in a control room and that mill is totally controlled by the DCS. You know, everything that's happening is computerized. It's all there. It's there. And then you Think about if you're working in a cookie factory like I was, and you've got hundreds of operators, and you've got hundreds of wrapping machines, and you've got hundreds of changeovers, and you've got all of this interaction between operators, the product, and the equipment versus people who are actually in a, in a paper mill, in a steel mill, these are my, uh, or, or the chemical company that I just left, um, where 
people are actually operating a system, a computer system. They're not operating equipment. They're operating a computer system that is operating equipment. So their interactions with uh, the product and the equipment is not as much. And that tends to lead to having ODR or operator care because it's not that you don't get that huge benefit from doing the complete autonomous maintenance thing. But when you've got hundreds of employees and literally hundreds of wrapping machines and you have numerous changeovers, which, you know, take a lot of your time, takes a, a, it, that if you can just improve your changeover time and things like that, then you can really, really drive up your performance and, and uh, you know, your productivity. Those are the situations where you want to invest in getting the culture to be one of TPM, where everyone understands and is involved. And that really is, for me, always the, the biggest difference is this, this amount of interaction between the operators and the number of operators um, versus someone operating a system a SCADA system, a DCS system, whatever it may be. Um, the benefit isn't there, the rewards aren't there versus the TPM environment. All right, excellent. Now, putting aside the TPM side of things, more focused on the operator care, operator-driven reliability side of things, what prerequisites are needed to actually be in a position to consider or implement operator care? Um, you have to think, or you, you have to think that um, what you're going to do is uh, change. You're going to change a bunch of stuff. You're going to change what you're doing. You're going to change. So one of the prerequisites is to have an awareness that you need to manage the change. Uh, too many times we see people go in and they they make the change. Okay, it's fairly easy. It's you know you you. They go in and they say, okay, um, remember the maintenance guy used to check this last week? Well, this week, uh, operators, you change it. You know, you check it. And they don't manage it. That's not going. It's, it's the quickest way to, to ruin operator care. So one of the prerequisites is this idea of um, we're going to manage this change. We're going to manage the people side of things to get it through. Um, and then uh, having, uh, you know, sort of a clear understanding of what results you want, because, you know, the, we, we may get to the point where, okay, we swapped over, we have operator care, but our downtime is increasing or our, you know, our, uh, our quality is poorer. Uh, so you want to make sure that you have the clear goals at the end of it. And then as you start to move through that, you use those goals, you have the clear sort of path that you want to take, and you manage that change through that process to get to the point where you get to. Um, those are the types of things that get forgotten, and they can lead to um, really not the results that you want. Yeah, that change management side is very, very important. You know, what are, what are we going to measure? How are we going to see if we're getting there? Um, how are we going to impact people with this change? How are we going to help them with that? Um, all very, very good things. The one thing I personally recognize that at least I've had struggles with in the past with this is if we don't have a good work management system, 
we, I find generally we get a lot of requests from operators when this kicks off. And if we don't get that good work management system, we're not able to execute against all these requests coming in in a timely manner. And then we lose operators. They don't believe in the system because the stuff they're identifying doesn't get done. So with our work management system not being up to pace, what we'll generally see is operators won't believe in the system because all the stuff that they're putting in doesn't get executed in a timely manner and then we lose them. Have you seen something similar in the past? Absolutely. And and that, again, is the, uh, it's needs to be taken care of as part of this change management process that we just talked about is that, you know, what are the expectations? And, and you know, we, we have to understand that. And um, if we can anticipate how much we're going to do, you know, how much we're going to get in the way of workload, um, then we can, you know, establish up front that, okay, we're going to have to massage, we're going to have to change things around to, to be able to get to what you, you know, you're asking for. We're, we're going to have to sell the idea that, yes, we're asking you to, to, you know, report these things and bring these things up, but there is still this idea of work management that has to take place because, yes, it may be a problem, and, yes, we're going to get to it, but it has to be in a uh, methodical, uh, formalized way so that it's not just, okay, we're going to drop everything when you put a work request in. We're going to evaluate that work request and evaluate it against the rest of the work, and then we're going to manage that work. And we're certainly not ignoring it, and we're certainly going to get to it, but you have to realize you know, that there may be times when we have to do other things. And we're going to manage that well. So it's that expectation of, and, and managing change up front so that people don't expect that, you know, as soon as I put a work request in, something's yep. going to get done. Um, what, what, uh, what I've always liked to do in, in that kind of scenario is um, publish the schedule. You know, this is ba basic work management, but I found it works well in, in these environments. Um, where you publish the schedule and, and, you know, for the next week, two weeks, whatever, and, and you put it in the control rooms and allow them to see it and invite them to ask questions so they can say, you know, what happened to my request there? Oh, yeah, because it may be, oh, yeah, we're going to get to it, um, but we need some spare parts. Yeah, we're going to get to it, but we need, you know, a specific tool. We're going to get to it, but we may involve a, a contractor because when we're doing that little bit that you're identifying, we're actually going to do a lot more because what you've identified is key, but we're actually going to do a lot more than that because we're going to take that opportunity based on what you found. You know, sell it to them that, uh, that they are sort of providing value by, by putting in the work request, and, uh, but not have that expectation that everything stops because they've put that work request in. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL blended learning for maintenance and reliability professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Yeah, absolutely. Now, 
you know, that's part of that planning, that communication that's going on. So what level of planning and communication do we have to do ahead of time before we move forward with this camp? Do we just kind of kick it off that day and say, okay, here's what we're doing? Or do we have to build up to it and get people excited about it? And how do we build all this stuff? Yeah. And we're back again to that uh, managing change. You know, change management is what it's all about. You know, it's why are we changing? You have to sell. It's, it's no different to anything. Any improvement that you want involves change management. And this is an improvement that you want for specific reasons. And you do that explanation. You explain to them, you know, what it is that um, the purpose of moving to ODR or operator care is, you know, what the expected outcomes are, how they will be involved in it, what it means. And you have to do that up front and you have to communicate because if you leave a communication void, someone will fill it in and you don't want that. You want to be the one that are filling that communication void. So uh, the more you can do up front, the more you can anticipate the more you can kind of figure out where you may get pushback. Um, in some organizations, there are people who will push back. You know, I'm sure you've seen them. I've certainly seen them. So you have to anticipate that they will push back, anticipate what they're going to push back against and kind of head it off. Sort of say, okay, um, you know, we're going to be doing this. And before anybody says, this is what's going to happen and we're going to... And if you can head all of that off before the day, it's going to be so much simpler. If you wait until the day, you're going to get drowned in it. And, and, the, and it gives, gives the, the naysayers or the resistors, it gives them the opportunity to, to get their point of view in. And, and you don't want that. And, and if you haven't had that communication up front, in all honesty, you're likely going to have roadblocks and, and you're going to have, you know, little challenges while you sort them out. It's, it's very rare that you're going to start up uh, a change like this and it's perfect. Uh, but if you've done all the communication up front, people will be accepting of that. Uh, if you wait until the day of, people are going to point and say, yeah, we told you it wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah, we knew that. And uh, then... You know, it's that, okay, it's going to take you sort of 10 positive things to overcome that one yeah, negative. absolutely. And, you know, I've seen organizations where they just try and switch who is responsible for certain things on a racy chart and say, okay, we're good to go. It doesn't work. Like you said, you need that change management <laughs> behind it. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's the quickest way. That's the quickest way to destroy um, operator care or, or ODR and certainly... Um, autonomous maintenance just cannot happen like that. Um, the, 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 the other thing around autonomous maintenance um, and being that different to operator care and ODR is that the, the level of training typically for operators in, in autonomous maintenance is much higher than ODR or, or operator care. Um, and when we, when we ran autonomous maintenance, we actually enrolled operators into colleges so that they understood how a motor functioned, what a bearing did, all of these things. So that, um, because there's hundreds of them, again, it's this, this reward that you can get. 
you're not likely to do that in ODR or OCR. You will certainly do uh, task-specific training. And again, that needs to happen before you just sort of hand it over um, so that people understand um, you know, what's expected of them, what, what the levels are expected of them. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's just changing names on a racy chart just won't do it. And just telling people won't do it. No, it definitely won't. Now, with that training piece that you mentioned, does that mean that the organizations that have been successful, you know, they teach the operators, not only here's the task that you're doing, but here's why you're looking for these things, here's how you're looking for these things, that sort of thing. So they get some theory and then practical training for their specific or task-specific activities? Yeah, absolutely. And it comes back to something we mentioned earlier um, about, you know, the, the goals. What are the goals? What are we looking for? And so um, if you're going to uh, do ODR or operator care, then you're hopefully going to get, you know, better availability. You're going to get better planning and scheduling because now you're catching things long before they fail. So you look at what are, um, what are the goals. And in autonomous maintenance, you know, it's, it's throughput most of the time is sort of number of packs or packages or cartons, what have you. Um, but giving them those goals and letting them sort of understand those goals and the why, exactly what you just asked, is that why, this is why we are doing it and this is why it's important and this is reason that, you know, why we are training you on doing these things. Absolutely have to have the whys and not the whats. If you do the whats, um, you, you will likely struggle, have to do the wise. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. Now, what similarities have you seen between organizations that are successful with operator care? Are there certain things that you've seen that kind of, you know, sets them up to be successful with this? Um, yeah. It, and again, it's, it's, it's that starting point. And, and the, the, the starting point is, is the culture. And, you know, if you have a, a, an organization where uh, you've always had a, 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 an engaged culture or a collaborative culture or a culture where people's opinions have been respected or they would, you know, it, it, they've been welcomed and things like that, then they're more open to change. The, the culture where it's command and control makes it very, very difficult. We, we get... Uh, what you normally get with command and control, and that's, you know, sort of bare compliance. People will say, yes, I'm doing these checks. I'm doing these, you know, this, this new ODR. I'm able to do all of these things. But um, in those command and control environments, um, there may be, you know, there may be something that uh, really is important, but because command and control only told them to do this, they do that. And they don't look for these other things. If you have that collaborative and engaged and, uh, and uh, sort of supportive culture, then people are actually trying to build. And that's another thing that you find is, is the difference is that those organizations that um, have been uh, engaging and collaborative, uh, you find the operators want to take more and more. 
in a command and control environment, the operators are going to do the bare minimum. And they're not even going to do it necessarily well. They're going to do it because they were told to do it, not because they see value in it. And so they're not going to suggest that they take on more. Uh, and that was one of the things that definitely stood out um, when we did autonomous maintenance was the operators really wanted to take on more and more and more. And then it became a case of how do we manage the maintainers now? Because the operators want to, you know, the, it could be viewed as the operators want to take my job. But what we did with that was that we looked at what the maintainers were doing and we said, okay, remember these projects that we've always wanted to do, we thought we could do? Yep, now we've got the time to do them because now the operator is taking on. So you're actually going to, as maintainers, you're going to give us your value added. Your value added is not required in setting up a machine when you can use gauge blocks, things like that. You know, an operator can do that and, and it'll be as successful as a maintenance guy doing a changeover. Uh, so uh, that, that's a big difference is, is that culture. Um, and as I say, you know, when you see those collaborative and engaged cultures, um, you find that ODR, operator care, and autonomous maintenance works so much better. All right. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. You know, definitely have to have all those pieces in place to make it work. Now, is there any other words of wisdom you want to share with operator care that we haven't quite yet covered? Um. It's, I just reemphasize the, you know, your point about the why is, is uh, again, you have to tell why. And the other thing that quite often gets forgotten, believe it or not, is this training aspect is, is you know, okay, we're, we're going to do this, uh, you know, we can take operator care. It doesn't have to stop um, just at taking readings and things like that in, we, we used operator care in the, in the chemical industry that I worked at, and operators would change gaskets on pipelines on specific products. Um, now they, they wouldn't, you know, if we, if it was uh, chlorine, they weren't going to do it. But if it was water, they maybe change the gasket. And um, I have to explain a little bit more about our situation, but. Uh, at the chemical company that I worked for, we uh, we only actually manned maintenance Monday to Friday, eight till four. Operators uh, ran the plants, and then you know if there were breakdowns, there was a call in. But something like a gasket change on a water line, uh, those types of things, um, they would do. But they had to be trained on it. You know, it wasn't just you know we, we trained them on talking bolts and and everything like that so that they felt comfortable doing it. So that's another uh, watch out is the big one is explaining why. And then the second one is making sure that people are actually capable of doing it. They've been trained, they're competent, and they, they're able to do uh, what you're asking them to do. So those are the two things that get missed, believe it or not, even though they seem to be the most obvious, they're the ones that get missed the most. All right. So we got to start with why you know, off of that famous book, make sure they understand why they're doing what they're doing and then train them. So they're comfortable in actually performing those tasks. Yeah. Those are the two main things we got to do. Absolutely. 
it doesn't seem that complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, but um, it, it's amazing how how it can easily fail. You know, just by missing something, uh, one of those two things. Um, what when I've sort of talked to people over the years, and we've talked about things like um, ODR, operator care, uh, autonomous maintenance, you wouldn't believe the number of people who have done. Like we talked about earlier, they just walk in one day and say, okay, the names on the AC chart have been changed. It's your job. Go do it. And, uh, and then they wonder why it fails. Uh, it shouldn't be that complicated. No, it shouldn't. But it is. So <laughs> what would you tell those who are looking to make the shift? Where do they start? What's the first thing you want them to do when they're looking at moving towards operator care? Um, Again, just from uh, when, when you're thinking about this is actually evaluating, you know, the need so that you can understand exactly why it is that you're doing this. Not, you know, it's not because you've read about it in a magazine or something like that. You need to have those, those numbers, those reasons, those, all of those things that will go to the why. You need to have those first so that you, you understand exactly why you are going to do this in yourself. And you can have, you know, the, the measures to say, okay, this is why I am doing that. And that will allow you then as time goes on to say, look, it's working because we have all of those things. But if you don't have these specific things that you expect out of it, you're not going to know whether it's successful. And if you're not going to know whether you're successful, you're not going to be able to hold people accountable for being successful. So that first thing that you really have to do is get, you know, lay the groundwork as to um, what is the purpose of this change? What are we expecting out of it? How do we expect to get it? And how will we measure it? Getting that up front again for yourself, if you're thinking about it, it will allow you then to have this five, you know, have a five-minute conversation with people to explain, rather than you know a, a two-day seminar. If you've got it clear in your mind and you clearly understand the whys, then it's easier to communicate. Yes, it definitely is. Well, Cliff, you know we've been talking about operator care for a while. I definitely appreciate the insights and the focus on the people side of it. I think too often that people side is missed, but. Before you go, where can people find out more about you, the events you're working on, the activities you got going on, all those great things? Um, I, I'm, I am on LinkedIn 23 hours a day uh, because, believe it or not, there are still people wrong on LinkedIn. You know, I've, I've tried to correct them. But, <laughs> but, yeah, but no, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. And you're, you're right, I will be doing uh, – conferences and podcasts like this. I'm so grateful to get the opportunity. Um, and, and that really is where I'm living. That's my space at the moment. Um, I would do blogs and things like that with people and processes. So you can read my blogs. And there's probably one about ODR on, uh, on uh, people and processes website. Um, but that's it. And you know, watch out at uh, different uh, different conferences because uh, I'm I'm certainly not uh, backing down from talking at conferences. Uh, I, 
it's where I enjoy getting out and networking. So that's where you'll find me. Um, That'll be great. Excellent. And my last question for you, Cliff, what's your favorite go-to resource for our listeners? For operator care or for operator care and TPM, it really is um, JIPM, Japanese Institute of Plant Maintenance. There is so much information out there that will help um, and you can the, the, the good thing is that if you if you have what we've just talked about you know you have the knowledge as to the why you want to do things um, you can pull examples from uh, JIPM and um, they will help you and, and guide you on where you want to go for for moving forward um, that really is uh, the best site that that I know of and it's the one that I always go to if I if I have a, a question about. I remember we did this when we were doing TPM, but I can't quite remember, you know, what the rationale was. I will go there. All right, excellent. I will make sure to put links to all that as well as your book, People of Reliability Success Story, which probably is going to give people some insights on how we manage some of this change and how we work with people on getting this to be something that the organization can uh, succeed and sustain. Yeah, no, it'll be great. And as you said, it should be. <laughs> it should be easy. It doesn't seem that complicated, <laughs> but uh, but you're 100% right. We, we do make it that way. All right. Well, Cliff, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today about this. Uh, definitely appreciate it. And it was good talking to you. Yeah, it's great talking to you, James. Look forward to doing it again sometime. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.